the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280, The Patriot. And I am joined by phone this time uh, by my wonderful producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. Hello, and good Mark. evening to you, Rebecca. It's good to see or good to talk to you. I'm glad that we're able to uh, at least do this by telephone uh, yes. for now and hopefully the foreseeable future. Yes, I hope so, too. I know you've got a your wife is on the front lines of this covid virus battle as a nurse in a hospital. Yes. And um, I'm grateful to know that all of your family is still healthy and strong. Oh, we're so thankful. Just taking it one day at a time and just trying to put into practice all the parameters that our elected officials have uh, recommended to us. Yep, that's right. Well, over the last month, life here in Minnesota and across the country has changed in ways we couldn't have imagined even just a few weeks ago, really. The spread of the COVID-19 virus has brought American life to a screeching halt. Schools across Minnesota and the country have closed leaving public and private schools scrambling to assemble new education delivery systems over the Internet. Liberty Classical being one of them. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. And the result of these changes, many parents of students are finding themselves in the unexpected position of using online curriculums to homeschool their children. And tonight, we want to take a look at how educators and parents can help young children grow in word formation and in their reading development. Mm Mm-hmm. Joining us this evening by telephone also is Cherylee Marsh. Cherylee is a learning specialist for students with dyslexia and helps students with their reading at Liberty Classical Academy. Cherylee also has a master's degree in special education and is, a, as a, and is trained, sorry about that, in Orton-Gillingham, which is an approach to reading, learning, or reading instruction, I should say. Cherylee, thank you so much for joining us here on Education Nation. Hello. <laughs> and we've had you on a few times. I know that um, parents at Liberty just love you and love the help that you provide our students. And um, we've allowed you to have a, kind of a larger microphone, as we would say, and uh, share it with more people outside of our school. So under these circumstances, I'm sure a lot of parents are concerned even more now that their kids will be at home. So thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. Shirley, let's go ahead and start uh, just addressing the fact that, you know, some of our listeners, maybe most of them, not familiar with the last names Orton and Gillingham. Who are, who are these people? What exactly is the Orton-Gillingham approach to reading, and why did they put such an approach together? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, people, I think, when they hear Orton Gillingham, don't even realize that those are last names of people. So um, Samuel Orton and uh, Anna Gillingham lived about 100 years ago. And Sam was a neuropsychiatrist and a neuropathologist. And Anna was an educator, a linguist, and a psychologist. And uh, both of them were running into students that uh, weren't able to read. And at the time, they called it uh, word blindness. Um, And what Orton decided was that after research and just studying um, students that this dyslexia or word blindness, as they called it, was actually a result of a delay in language development. And he had concluded that education was the way to solve it. And she kind of came to that same understanding with these students that she worked with in New York who were just brilliant, brilliant students. However, they really struggled with reading, and it just was a conundrum to her. So she got together with a friend named Bessie Stillman, who was also a teacher, and they developed uh, the multisensory technique, which we use in Art and Gillingham, um, to work with their students. And then by about 1929, Samuel Orton, Anna Gillingham met in New York, put their heads together and they developed the approach. So that's how it all started. Hmm. And okay. it's been I've never in place. Heard that. And, yeah. Yeah. And the other piece about it is that at the time the whole word reading approach was what was being used. And so as educators, both Anna and Bessie were just like, this isn't working. So that was part of their their drive to figure out what would work for these students. So. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Yep. Well, one yeah. one phrase one phrase that a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with is the name of a program called Hooked mm-hmm. on Phonics, and uh, systematic phonics is a key component in reading. So, for those not familiar with the term phonics, would you please define the method of phonics for us? I I absolutely can. Okay, we're going to talk about Greek. <laughs> in Greek, phone means sound, and phonics is the teaching of the sounds that we use in a spoken language. And those little sounds are called phonemes, which are the smallest units of sounds. Um, I can tell you more, too. Let me tell you. Uh, So phonics has to do with the printed language. So we're going to talk about maybe other things today, like phonemic awareness and whatnot. Those don't deal with print. But phonics is when our students are starting to look at letters on paper and read words. And that's that's when phonics actually begins. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... Something else that might be important for you to know is that phonics um, instruction, like you said, hooked on phonics, there's there's oodles and oodles of curriculums out there. Um, but the key is that phonics instruction needs to be explicit, which means you're going to say to a child, hey, this is the letter B, and the letter B says B. You can't just assume that by showing them a bunch of letters, they're going to just pick up on what these letters are. It's, it's a lot right. more complicated mm-hmm. than that. Um, and, um, honestly, when we talk about it being systematic, like you said, what it means is you start with something small and you just keep adding to that until the the wealth of knowledge becomes complete. Um, but if you go too fast or throw too much at a student who's struggling all at once there, it's not going to be a benefit to them at all. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's important to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Important. Yep. So, Shirley, let's dig in a little bit deeper into the method of phonics, and you're mm-hmm. touching on elements of it right now, saying that it mm-hmm. needs to be explicit, and that's an important detail. The kids actually have to say it. It has to be systematic. What is yep. phonological awareness, though, and is this awareness an important and reliable predictor of later reading ability? 
Oh, yes, it is. Okay, so it actually, phonological awareness begins at birth, Hmm. and it's both the knowledge of and also the sensitivity to the phonological structure of the words that we use in our language. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't involve print at all. And I can give you some examples of how it starts in in the early life, if you you want to understand it a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's this umbrella um, of things that fall under phonological awareness, which is the awareness of the sounds. And when uh, babies are first born, the environmental sounds around them are just what is helping them to learn our spoken language. Mm -hmm. And little babies will turn toward a familiar voice. Mm -hmm. Um, If they have a pet in their house, like a dog, you'll see them turning toward the dog. Mm -hmm. Um, And then those environmental sounds that they're hearing are starting to um, just grow, I guess, um, so much so that as um, they get a little older and they're they're actually speaking, they can recognize that dog's voice and say dog because they hear a dog barking mm-hmm. or they hear their their dad on the phone and they know it's dad because of the awareness of the sounds around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are just environmental sounds where it gets more uh, complex is, and what should be developing is where when, um, let's say you're reading a nursery rhyme mm-hmm. to a child, that they start to pick up on the rhyme at the end of that nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. Also, when um, you start to talk to kids about words and you start to talk about like the first sound of a word and what they hear, it doesn't have to be about what letter it starts with, but if, if they hear the word banana, boy, mm-hmm. bike, that they start to recognize that first sound is a b. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, they're... You asked if it's important. Um, Here's some other ways that you can find out if they're actually solid in their phonological awareness, but it's to be able to, like, say a sentence and ask them how many words are in that sentence. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at the sentence, but if you said, um, the dog barked at me, that they would be able to hear the dog barked at me and find Mm -hmm. five words in that sentence. Hmm. Or give them a word like banana and they'll be able to feel the syllables, ba-na-na. Those are super, super important for kids to be able to do way before they're able to read. Um, But even to pick up on the rhymes and like the word turkey or jerky, Mm -hmm. to hear that E at the end of both of them. Yes. Um, But it is a huge cause for poor reading. It's Mm -hmm. it's huge. Mm -hmm. So, and for me, any, any little guy, little girl in preschool who doesn't hear rhymes, who can't find what that first sound is of a word, um, or when I'm dealing with like trying to hear if they can hear syllables, I'll clap sounds or I'll clap rhythms. Uh Um, and I hope that they can match that back Mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. So those are how I can figure out where they're at. And these are things that, um, before I go on to the next question, these are things that parents could be doing with their kids. They could maybe be reading more rhymes. They could be practicing that. Yep. Does that yep. help? If a child is predisposed towards being dyslexic, does mm-hmm. it help if a parent is reading them nursery rhymes more often yes. than just books yes. and that kind of thing? Yes. Because I know reading yes. is important itself, but what about rhyming reading? <laughs> yep. So it does. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Nursery rhymes have kind of gone away, but yeah. any student I work with has, has learned them because <laughs> I'm teaching them. At the core. Um, because it's it's just, it's really important because um, of just later on as they're mm-hmm. reading um, to be able to hear that rhyme mm-hmm. and to hear those sounds in the words. That's so, really good yeah. to know. 
that's good for parents yeah. to take note. Well, in the method of yeah. phonics, there is also a subset of phonological awareness known as phonemic awareness. And again, you're kind of touching mm-hmm. on this right now. What is yep. phonemic awareness specifically? And would you give us an example as to how this awareness works in separating a word? Absolutely. Okay. So if you think of that umbrella, like mm-hmm. we just talked about phonological awareness, mm-hmm. um, there's a little component in there called phonemic awareness. Mm-hmm. And if this is not strong, no matter the age of the student, reading and spelling is going to be difficult. Um, in fact, it's not optional. You have to have it. And um, as students are starting to be in phonics programs, that's where phonemic awareness is super, super important. And I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll explain that to you. Um, but it's good to know that 60 to 70 percent of kids, students, um, develop it naturally. Hmm. But those that don't need to have this structured um, education around it so that they can figure out um, how to break apart words into sounds. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. here in a nutshell is what phonemic awareness is. Um, it has to do with spoken words. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing really to do with the letters in those sounds. Okay. In other words, kids don't have to know what the letters are yet. They just have to hear the sounds. Um, so when I was saying earlier about like identifying the b at the beginning of boy, mm-hmm. banana, and bicycle, mm-hmm. um, I need kids to be able to tell me the first sound in a word. So if I say top, they say t. If I say bug, they say b. If I say fish, they say f. I don't want them saying B, T, and F. I need to know that they actually hear the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that first sound, I, wor- I move on to the last sound of a word. So mm-hmm. that word top, what do you hear at the end of top? What do you hear at the end of bug? G. Um, and I hope over the radio you can hear. Yes, <laughs> we can. No, here. it's very helpful. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. And then after they've got the beginning and the ending sounds, we move to the middle sound. And this is, this is tough. Um, but just so you can understand why this is so important. If I want a child to write the word ship and they can't break apart the sounds, they're not going to know how to spell the word because they need to hear the sounds. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of attention, a lot of attention into this and it gets more complicated. And and I honestly work with students on phonemic awareness up through adulthood um, Mm -hmm. because if they're 12 and they don't have any, I have to start at the foundation of reading and spelling, which Mm -hmm. is, which is this. And some of the more advanced things that parents can still be doing with their kids all the time on their own is, okay, say the word, um, flop. What are the sounds you hear in flop? Okay. Let's take that word lap. Say lap. Okay. They say lap. And then you say, let's put a at the beginning. What's the new word? Clap. Great. Okay. So say that word stop. So they say stop. And then you say, okay, say it again, but don't say this. What's left? Top. And then the most advanced is where you say a word and you switch out a sound or you substitute it. So if you say fun, okay, instead of the uh, let's say ah. What's the word? Fan. Um, and that's, it's complicated, but like I said, all mm-hmm. good readers have to have this to be able to read and spell. So, mm-hmm. And it it's fun. Sense. Kids love it. They love it. I bet they do. And I know you make things fun for them. Oh, sweet. (laughs) So, Sarah Lee, when should students know uh, letter names and their sounds? And if their development is coming along slower than parents may like, I know you just touched a little bit on the different exercise they could take them through, especially uh, with parents now being in the home with schools closed. What would you recommend? 
Yes. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, okay, so it varies in age as to when children learn their letters. Some precocious little kids who obviously don't probably exhibit any signs of dyslexia start to, you know, learn their letters at age two. Um, but yeah. you'll have kids that are in preschool that are just are really struggling, and maybe they know a handful of them. They know the letters from their name, um, maybe maybe their parent's name. They know a handful of letters. But the key is that you not do too many at once. And okay. and if you think about the alphabet, it's our code. Just like learning numbers for math, kids have to learn the letters. Um, and maybe speaking to these preschool parents or even kindergarten parents that are still um, trying to help their kids learn their letters, um, start with what they know. So figure out what letters do they know. Lots of families maybe have a, a wooden puzzle at home with the alphabet letters or the magnets on the fridge, or they can write out the letters and, and just try to determine um, which ones they know. But I would, I would say don't put them in alphabetical order because kids are really, really smart and they know to count A, B, C, D. Oh, that's an F because they know that it's the fifth <laughs> or sixth letter, right? So mix, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, a lot of kids can sing it. Yeah, they have it all memorized, but they can't right. find that letter. So we talk about like one-to-one correspondence that they see that letter M and they know it's an M in whatever order it's in. Um, but with, with just with your kids, you can be playing with those alphabet puzzles. Um, but if they don't have a lot of letters, no one figure out they know and then kind of set those in the known pile and then pick like one letter that you're going to teach. And with that, you can take clay or Play-Doh and you can form it. You can make a go fish game where you have all those letters that they know and you have two sets of each letter written on whatever piece of paper you want. And you can play, I have G, do you have G and play go mm. fish that way or mm-hmm. put them upside down and play memory. Yep. Um, but one thing I'd also like to say is that uh, the focus should be on the lowercase letters. I think that it's hard because if you look around the world signs and labels are all written with like uppercase letters, which Kids do need to know, but when they actually start reading, they don't read the uppercase letters. They read the lowercase letters. And so for a child who's struggling, it's really important that you put your energy into the lowercase letters. And then you can obviously go back to the uppercase. But I have found with most of my kids that they know a lot of the uppercase letters, but they don't know the lowercase letters. And that can actually kind of be masking the fact that they're struggling because they have just been so exposed to the uppercase letters. Um, but I would say that alongside with that, um, they need to know the letters and eventually they need to know the alphabet in order. And you can continue to have fun with the song. And once they've got that down, you can still be doing that auditory too of, okay, what comes after P? What comes after R? What comes before the C? Just getting them thinking through the alphabet as well. Um, and maybe parents have picked up on this that they often hear L M N O P and they think it's one letter. <laughs> and yeah. that's, watch out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah, and alphabet's fun. You can make, you know, and there's so many honestly on like PBS Kids and whatnot. There are great websites like that that have great alphabet um, awareness games that, that kids can be. I I can say that they're they're good programs. So mm-hmm. yeah, okay. if they're looking for that kind of thing too. Yeah. And when when people think of reading, Shirley, they may not think of really how significant the skill of handwriting is. So when it comes to reading, how important Mm -hmm. is handwriting? Absolutely. This is so good. Here's the deal. Just like phonemic awareness is so key for reading, 
the ability to write letters accurately and effortlessly is going to be crucial when it comes to success in spelling and overall writing. Um, and to piggyback off of what we just talked about with the alphabet, um, it's so easy when kids are little to start teaching them the strokes of the letters as they're learning them. Um, and if you can visualize this, take your pointer finger and your middle finger on your dominant hand and like you're holding them up, but then put them down on a hard surface and just trace with your fingers the letters. Um, and it's really easy to start teaching those strokes when kids are really little. Um, but I would say you need to start with the large muscles. So um, you, you're writing them in the sky really big, like imagine three feet for a letter C. Um, and then from the the large motor, you move to the smaller motor. So I think we really quickly like to throw kids into pencils and crayons. Um, but that large motor is key for locking it in. So you can be teaching the strokes to kids well before they actually have to write the letters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other nice way to teach them is by how they're formed. So, for example, that letter C, when you make the C, you can turn it right into a lowercase a, into a lowercase g, into a lowercase d, into a q, into an o. So that muscle memory can be built with the large motor and then when they transfer to a writing utensil, grip is another thing, but at least they have now learned that formation of the letter because it's key that kids, even though it's cute when they draw their letters, like my oldest son, when he was little, his name is Ben, and he wrote with all uppercase letters, but his E had about 15 horizontal lines. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was cute. Um but that's when they're drawing it. I want them to learn to write the letters. And that's when you have the correct stroke because it's really hard to correct that after, after amount of muscle memory. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's another thing I'd like to say for our preschool parents, when it comes to writing, kids don't like to do it, but I highly recommend it. You take a crayon, you break it in half, give that half of a crayon to the child so that they are forced into using their pincher grip. They can only Mm -hmm. use those three fingers comfortably on that and actually write, especially for kids that want to like hold it like a, with their whole fist. Um, this really helps that grip. And I might also suggest getting some tweezers and there are large tweezers out there or clothes pins where they pinch it with those three fingers, um, their thumb, their forefinger and their middle finger. And you can use those tweezers or those clothes pins to like pick up beads or pick up cotton balls and drop them into jars, but just to build that muscle strength. Because often that grip is hard because those three fingers um, obviously take more strength than if you used your whole hand. So I would also just then to tie this into reading and to tie it back to maybe dyslexia, dysgraphia, a sign of poor handwriting could be that there isn't a lot of strength in the hand. And so that might be something an occupational therapist might be warranted to be contacted. Um, But also I think it's easy to assume that because maybe handwriting is messy that a child is being lazy or just they don't care. But honestly, I think most kids do care. And so to pay attention to that 
and to just to see what's going on with their with their grip or see what's going on with maybe how they've not learned how to make the letters correctly. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just some ideas for you. Those are some yeah. great ideas, Shirley. Just excellent. Thank you. Um, for me, I have a preschooler as well, so we know how to yeah. really work on those lowercase good. letters. Right, right. Yeah, large large motor. Have fun. Yes, that's good. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. we are limited in time. We only have five minutes left, and I know we've got so many okay. questions that we'd like to ask you. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. going to jump into the next one here. Um, I was amazed yep. with my own child how quickly they could spell words after learning how to sound out the letters of the alphabet. What is yep. the link uh, to spelling with all of this? Good question, and I'll try to make it really fast. But English is a spoken and a written language, and the code for our written language is the alphabet, obviously. Um, but we have those sounds that we talked about being phonemes. But then once we start to put it onto paper, we're talking about graphemes. Okay, so more Greek means to write. Mm-hmm. And we use those graphemes to to spell. And they're processing the phonemes that they hear, but then they have to transfer them to paper with, uh, with the grapheme that they write. Um, and sometimes kids um, have no problem learning the sounds for letters where when you say their name, like M, mm-hmm. you can hear that sound come right out of the name of the letter M, mm, right? But then we've got the W, the Y, Q, U. Those are a little tougher. Um, but it's really important that kids learn both the name of the letter and also the sound, so that when they go to spell, they can hear the sounds in their head when they say the word and they say it out loud. And they also know the graphene that they're going to write on paper. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So, yes. so they so, conjure it up um, then when they're. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I could geek out on you for just one yeah. second, this yep. is just super, super cool. But um, this is what our brains do. We do something called orthographic mapping. And we literally have a phonological part of our brain and an orthographic part of our brain that get together when we read a word. So we quickly match letters and letter sequences of the spoken word that we say. Um, And our brain says, okay, I see those little squiggles on paper, and that makes the word water. It's W-A-T-E-R. And that's all in like a a millisecond, not even a millisecond, less than that. Mm -hmm. And then we also tie that into meaning instantly and know what form of water we're even reading about. If it's the water down something or water the flowers or take a drink of water, Mm -hmm. all of that happens in like a millisecond. And so what we need is for that, for the alphabet letters to be quick and automatic so that when they go to write, they just know them and they just have, they don't have to think, they just do it. So there you go. That is very interesting. I mean, it truly, like you say, <laughs> the, the human mind is truly um, so complex and yet we do these things, like you say, in a quick millisecond. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm wondering, Mark, do you want to go ahead and ask the question? I know you had a question that you wanted to ask, Shirley. Why don't you go ahead and ask that? Absolutely. Sure. When it comes to reading, you know, what is fluency and why is it important? Can we teach fluency to our children? I mean, it can um, be very quick. <laughs> it can be really quick for yes. you. And here's the deal. you We, we okay. teach it, but we actually just, um, instead of teach it, I like to say like we are building it. So um, it's fluency is the ability to read quickly and accurately without having to put in the effort. And so I think okay. the key for parents, if they want to know how to build fluency Make sure the text that they're reading is appropriate. It's not too hard. And um, in particular, if a child is stumbling over every third word, that fluency is not going to take place. If you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It should sound yeah. like conversation when they're reading. And so I think the number one 
cue for parents is if it's not taking place fluently reading, um, that maybe it's too hard. Mm-hmm. But then in another whole hour, I could explain to you how I actually build fluency, but um, it, it's it's a long conversation. Mm-hmm. So, And we might <laughs> so have yes, to save that teach it. until yeah. next time, Shirley. This Absolutely. has been so no interesting. <laughs> and I, yeah. I know I'm, our, I can speak again for our parents on behalf of them that they are so grateful to have you helping their children. And yeah. I hope that the yeah. parents listening can uh, spread this around to people so that they can help their children yeah. as well. And we thank yeah. you again yeah. for joining us by phone today, Shirley. And thank you, Absolutely. Mark, My as pleasure. always. Yeah, read, read, read. Yes, read, read, reading. read. And lots of nursery <laughs> rhymes for preschoolers. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, and talk about what you're reading. Yes. Yep. Okay. Enjoy. Thank Have you. a great night, Shirley. Thank, thank you so Shirley. much. Thank and you. Thank you to our you listeners too. for listening tonight. And if you want to listen to this podcast, on, um, you can listen to it on Ed Nation. Uh, MN, ednationmn.org. And you can also listen or you can follow us on Facebook. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week at 6 p.m. on AM the 1280 The Patriot. Good night.